Lighting a candle in the darkness helps us find our way. In darkness, we lose direction. We cannot see where we have been or where we are going. A single candle flickering brightly helps us find our way again. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Light one candle, see it glow, brightly so that we all may know how one candle shows the way, making our darkness bright as God's day. Restore us, O God, let your face shine, that we may be saved. Dear God, on this first Sunday in Advent, let us let shine brightly as the days grow shorter, so that we will be ready for your face to shine upon us at Christmas. In the Savior's name we pray, amen. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. The will, he will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, today the story that we just heard is a story that we typically hear after Christmas, um, but it's an important story for understanding this whole idea of the incarnation, God with us. So we're going to study that this morning. If you have a Bible with you, you can take it out and follow along with me. Let me pray for us, and we'll study the Word together. Gracious God, on this Advent, help us to embrace this good opportunity and to do something very good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. There was a time, a long time ago, when our very own pastor Sung looked death straight in the eye and said, come and get me. This time, like I said, long ago, far away in a remote and mystical place known as Georgia. These days, Pastor Sung is most widely recognized as a Florida Gator fan, so feel sorry for him today. But if you were to do an in-depth study of his actual graduation, we might learn that perhaps Pastor Sung has some misplaced allegiances. That is going to be a sermon on truth-telling for a whole other time. But let's go back to Georgia. It was right around the turn of the century, a very different time than today. We were in our final years of seminary, and both of us had to complete a second field education placement. The general rule for field education is that you do one rotation in a parish setting like this, and then you do one rotation in specialized ministry. Well, Sag and I, we were young and crazy and in love, and we had this idea that perhaps we should do our second rotation in the same place together. And through a series of very random events and my willingness to do the rotation without compensation, 
we got hired at the same place, the Westminster Christian Fellowship on the campus of Georgia Tech. And WCF had one of the best locations on campus. It was right at the far end of sorority and fraternity row, so we were right there with all of the Greek life, and it was right across the street from Bobby Dodd Stadium, where Georgia Tech plays. Well, since I went to a college that had never even heard of football as a sport, and since Sung had not quite sealed the deal with an engagement ring yet and still cared about impressing me, we both became rambling wrecks from Georgia Tech. So at the heart of who we really cheer for for football, it is Georgia Tech. Sung took it one step even further, and he stuck a Buzz logo on the back of his car. Buzz is the, the hornet, the yellow jacket from Georgia Tech. And for almost two years, we lived in great bliss. But then times changed. We got married. And Sung, <laughs> Sung got his very first call to ministry. And that ministry was to be the pastor of the church in Pleasant Hills Presbyterian Church in Statham, Georgia. Now, most folks have never even heard of this little town of Statham or the next big town over, which is Winder, Georgia. But if you ask a true Peach State fan, they will tell you that the next biggest town from there is Athens. And Athens is home to the University of Georgia Bulldogs. Now, I understand that we're in Florida, and, and clearly, based on some aggression going from Paul over to this direction of the room, we have some Florida-Florida state rivalries. But in Georgia, Georgia Tech and the University of Georgia are a really, really big deal, and they are not, by any stretch of the imagination, the dearest of friends. So here is Sung on his very first day in his brand new church. And you need to know that this was a little country church in West Georgia. There are generations of family members buried in the cemetery right outside the sanctuary doors, and everybody, everybody, Every single person in the church comes to church in their pickup truck. And do you know what's on the back of a pickup truck in north, northwest Georgia? A gun rack. That's right. On the back of every one of these trucks, we have a gun rack. And if you have a gun rack, it means that you have something that goes with a gun rack. So there we were in this little tiny country church, and all of these pickup trucks have lined up on the grass, outside, and here comes Pastor Sung on his very first day in his brand new church in northwest Georgia in his shiny little Corolla with the Georgia Tech sticker still on the back. If looks could have killed, Pastor Sung would have met his maker that very morning because you do not randomly go around in a small town in Georgia with pickup trucks and gun racks and wear the opposing team's mascot. But the truth of the matter is, that's part of where Sung came from. And all of us come from somewhere, whether we like it or not. And that somewhere that we come from plays a part in shaping who we are. Now, we've been talking about the incarnation for several weeks, and we've discovered that God with us, Jesus with us, 
always part of God's plan from the very beginning. It was part of the promise. It was that seed that floated through ancient history on the wind of sin straight through the Old Testament into the New Testament. And now we're coming to the point in our faith year, Advent, that coming of Christmas, where we have to look a little bit closer at location. This is the time of year when everybody gets all hung up on Bethlehem, and people from all over the country want to get their Christmas cards mailed from places like Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, so that their Christmas card features Bethlehem. You know, oh little town, we sing about it, it's a big deal. But it's not the only location that really matters. In the passage that we're studying today, when we look back at it, you're going to see that we have covered a whole bunch of locations in a very short passage. We're picking up in this story after Jesus has been born. He has, he has essentially been exiled with his family to Egypt, and there's a reason for this. And now they're going to return to Israel. It goes like this. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up. Take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. Well, you you might remember Herod from other parts of the Christmas story. He's the king who tried to get the wise men to tell him where the baby Jesus was because he was going to pay his respects, and by pay his respects, he meant that he was going to kill baby Jesus. Herod, like so, so, so many of the kings of Israel, was not a good guy. But the good news is that now Herod's deceased. And Matthew's gospel is recorded as saying, now is the time to go back to Israel. And Joseph, who has always been faithful, follows along with these instructions. So he got up and he took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. King Herod was one of those guys who changed his will at a whim. You know those families where you have the very wealthy parents and they play that game of who loves me more and which kid's on top of the totem pole at which time and everybody has to behave themselves or they're going to be out of the will? That's exactly what was going on with Herod. In fact, History shows that this guy had at least six different wills. He did not know what to do with himself. And then on his deathbed, because he was a loving father, on his deathbed, he ordered the execution of his one son. This way we're not going to contest the will. Then he changed the will again, and he appointed Archelaus in place of the older Antipas over half of the kingdom Uh, that included Judea. Now, Archelaus is a great example of a severely rotten apple that did not fall far enough away from the tree. Because once he came into power, he ordered the slaughter of 3,000 Jews on the Passover. And these were all people that he thought were a threat to him. So he ordered their execution. You can understand now why Joseph would not want to go back to Judea. And having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and he lived in a town called Nazareth. So what was fulfilled, what was said through the prophets, that he would be called Nazarene. So think of all the places that we've talked about. We've talked about Egypt, we've talked about Israel, we've talked about Galilee, we've talked about 
Nazareth, all of these places in a short amount of time. And I know that it might seem like, wow, Pastor Hope has spent a Sunday just talking about all the different places that Joseph went to to get home. But there is some great significance to the scripture listing out these places in such a short little passage. When Joseph is directed to Galilee, he's still being sent to a Jewish territory. But this particular territory, Galilee in Judea, was scorned by the better Jews of Judea. So let me explain it to you this way. How many of you have ever been on a flight, you're sitting next to somebody, and they say, oh, where are you from? And your gut reaction is to say, oh, I'm from Bradenton. And they kind of like, Bradenton, right? So you quickly self-correct and you say, oh, 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 Sarasota. And they're like, oh, Sarasota, <laughs> right? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Well, that, that's how the people felt about Galilee. Galilee was the Bradenton to Sarasota. Now, why is that important to us? Why does it matter that that's where Jesus was sent? Well, like we talked about last week, the incarnation is God with us, all of us. And the fact that Jesus would grow up in a place that was not considered exclusively Jewish reinforces that he's going to be the Messiah for everybody, not just for the Jews. And it's not just that, his family, that Joseph took his family to Galilee, but he settled in the town of Nazareth. So if Galilee is Manatee County, I want you to pick the part of the county, and for each of you this will be different, pick the part of the county that in your opinion is the least desirable place to be, and that would be the equivalent of Nazareth. Nazareth was five miles from Sephora, the strongest military center in Galilee. It was one branch in the great caravan route to Damascus for soldiers and traders and travelers. Nazareth was just a rest stop as you're trying to get to someplace better. Let me say that again. Nazareth is just a rest stop on the way to someplace better. You want to know what makes Jesus so unique and so special so extraordinary. He is God who walks with his people. Now think about how that relates to your faith life. Maybe your life right now is just absolutely amazing. You have lots of friends and family. You feel as though your purpose is clear. Your anxiety is low. Your joy is high. Maybe your life right now isn't so great. Maybe you've lost loved ones and friends this last year. Maybe you've got a broken relationship that doesn't seem to be on the mend. Maybe just the thought of this season alone just makes your stomach churn and upsets you to no end. Either way, here's the good news. This is just a rest stop on the way to someplace better. This is just a rest stop on the way to someplace better. And what we need to know, what we need to know about our God is that nobody understands that better than him. He grew up in Nazareth, the place that is officially labeled the rest stop on the way to someplace better. Jesus lived in the place where we live. He is our God with us. 
Have you ever thought about why the scriptures always refer to Jesus so often as Jesus of Nazareth? Why, why would the scriptures keep saying that? Well, remember last week I told you that Jesus was actually a very common name? There was lots of little boys running around Palestine with the name Jesus. So they had to have a way to designate who was who. And so typically the way that you would do that is you would identify by the father. So this is little Johnny. He is Chris's son. Well, in Jesus' case, that gets a little bit complicated. So another way to go about it would be by occupation. That's Jesus, the carpenter. It's better, but not exactly on target. So the next best thing, then, is to say where someone is from. Thus, Jesus of Nazareth. I don't think that's just a coincidence. I think it's a very different way for us to understand what we say that we believe. We believe that he is the Son of God. So we can see that, that if we were to identify him by his Father, would be complicated. We believe that he's the Messiah, the Savior. So to just call him Jesus the carpenter doesn't really reveal the tr full truth about who he is to us. But then to say that he's Jesus of Nazareth, that gives us hope. To have our Savior come from a place that we can relate to, a place where ordinary, everyday people are from, a, a place that wasn't exclusively for one kind of people, that gives us hope that this Jesus, our God, is a God with us, a God for us. God could have chosen the ivory towers. He could have chosen the halls of power. He could have chosen center stage. But instead, what he chose was to be with his people, to, to be with you and, and to be with me. And he made that choice over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament. God was with this Jesus of Nazareth. And his willingness to carry that label in ministry up north down south, in his arrest, in his crucifixion, in his resurrection, and even in his ascension, Jesus of Nazareth was most assuredly with us. God with us. Not God near us in some special place, but God with us, like in Nazareth, with us. Jesus of nowhere, Galilee, he came to be with us so that he could be for us. And he is forever with us, for he still carries to this very day the lowliest of labels, Jesus of Nazareth. Let's pray together. Lord God, we confess that oftentimes we overlook where we came from. We deny it and we refute it. And then we forget about where you came from, that you grew up in Nazareth, a rest stop on the place to somewhere much better. Help all of us to redeem where it is that we come from, knowing that no matter where we are, we are on a rest stop to someplace better. And for as long as we are here, until that day that we get to where we're going, you are 
God with us. Hallelujah. Amen.